and adults. When I planned this children's message, I had hoped that Elsie was going to be here and she's not. So is there an adult who is not afraid to sing happy birthday loudly? Come on up, Heidi. (laughs) Okay, you're going to stand over there. So this is the game we're going to play. One at a time, I'm going to ask for volunteers. Not that everybody has to do it, but those of you who want to do it can. What's going to happen is we are going to have you walk through an obstacle course. Do you know what an obstacle course is? That means there are going to be things in your way that could cause you to trip or fall. And we don't want you to trip or fall. So I'm going to guide you by giving you instructions. You're not allowed to do anything unless I tell you to do it. So if I tell you, take one step forward, you take one step forward. If I say, take one step to the left, you take one step to the left. If I say take one step to the right, you take one step to the right. My job is to try to get you through the obstacle course safely, okay? So who wants to be a volunteer to try and go through the obstacle? Audrey, you go first. So you go stand over there by that green pillow. Now, the rest of you guys get to be the obstacles. So come on up. Audrey, close your eyes. You guys come on up and stand around here, not all together, be, 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 make there room for her to get through. You, here, and you stand right here, sweetie. And you stand right there. And you right here, and you're gonna be, no, you stay right where you're at. And you stay right there, and you're right there. Okay. Audrey, do not open your eyes. And if you struggle with opening your eyes, go ahead and put your hands over your eyes, whichever works for you. <laughs> I want you to take, Four steps forward. Okay. Can you hear my voice here? Okay. All right. Take two more steps forward. Stop. Okay. Miss Heidi, start singing. Happy birthday. Okay, Audrey, I want you to take one step forward. Happy birthday. Okay. I want you to take three steps forward. Okay, stop. I want you to turn to the right. No, turn the other way. Now take two steps forward. Take one giant step forward. Take one giant step forward. Take one more giant step forward. Forward. Okay, turn to the right. I mean, to the left. Take one giant step forward. Take two steps forward. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Turn to the right. Turn to the right. Take four steps. Stop. Turn to the left. Walk towards my voice. Keep walking. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, you got it. All right. Okay, everybody sit down. So, Miss Audrey, how hard was that? Was that hard? No? Could you hear my voice? So you could hear my voice over over Miss Heidi? See, sometimes 
That's, that's, it's a hard thing. When some people, cause sometimes, <coughs> sometimes there's a lot of different noises going on and it's hard to hear. For me, I can't hear out of my left ear right now because she was yelling in my left ear. <laughs> no, so the reason I did that is this. In the Bible, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, Jesus tells us that he's like a shepherd and we're like sheep. And you know what he says? My sheep know my voice. They can recognize when I'm talking to them. They won't come to anybody else. They will follow my voice. And so if we're like God's sheep and God's like our shepherd, we want to listen for his voice. The problem is the enemy of our souls is always trying to make other noises to keep us from hearing God's voice. And so we need to learn to carefully listen for God's voice. And how do we do that? We can read the Bible. We can pray. We can go to church. We can go to a Sunday school class. We can go to our class with Miss Heidi and learn how to recognize God's voice. When you're younger, it's easier. And if you learn when you're younger, it's easier when you're older. Because the problem is we don't learn when we're young. And then when we get old, we don't learn, we don't know how to listen for God's voice. And then we have to work really hard. So it's better when you're younger to learn how to hear God's voice. So be thankful that your moms and dads bring you to church. Because you're getting trained at a young age. Because the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Did you know that the Bible, that, that, that statistics say, people who do the research, if somebody doesn't know God by the time they are 18, the likelihood is that they will never, ever know God. That's why we so are thankful that you guys are here at church today. And we are asking God, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help these kids to learn how to hear your voice, regardless of any other distractions. Help them to recognize that your voice is the only one they want to listen to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back with Miss Heidi. Thank you so much, Miss Audrey, for participating. And thank you, the rest of you, for being good obstacles. Okay, this is more like a Bible study than it is a sermon today, but that's okay. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest gift that God has given to humans? What would you say? Don't say it out loud, but think about it. If you had to identify the greatest gift that God has given to humanity, what would it be? I would be hard-pressed between two. To choose between two. For me, obviously, the first answer, the most natural answer, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I would, I would, I would submit that that is probably one of the top two of the greatest gifts. But I would also submit that this one that I'm about to talk about and what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of the sermon is probably right up there 
And it's this, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because neither it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. Now, first of all, let me, let me clearly identify that Jesus himself is saying that the spirit of truth, this advocate, this helper that the Father is going to send, who is going to be with us and be with us to help us and to be with us forever, it says The world cannot accept him, not it. So often, people think about the Holy Spirit as being a force, a spiritual energy, a spiritual uh, uh, entity. Not even an entity is a little bit, but it's not a personable thing. But Jesus' teaching was that the Spirit of God is a person of God, not just simply power of God. Does that make sense? And the thing that is such an incredible gift is that this person of God, which we can't understand, this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity thing. I talked about that a few weeks ago, about this divine dance of the three in one. But one of the things that we are told by Jesus is that When Jesus left, God the Father sent the Son to be with us 24-7. See, Jesus couldn't even do that. As a human being, Jesus could not be everywhere at once. So he was with his disciples 24-7, but he wasn't with Nicodemus 24-7. He wasn't with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha 24-7. Loved them, had a great relationship with them, but he couldn't be present with them. Remember the story of Lazarus' death? Mary and Martha both said to him on two separate times, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. So there was this understanding or this sense that there was relationship, but there wasn't presence. Or continual presence. But the the difference between Jesus and our relationship with Jesus and the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is present with us every moment of every day. You could wake up at two in the morning and be frightened from a bad dream and you could cry out, oh God, in the presence of God, but be right there with you. You could be going through a horrible, horrible experience and in that moment, It wouldn't be a matter of having to go find God. It would be a matter of crying out and God would be present right there with you in that moment, in that room. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 says, God, speaking of the Father, has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. And there's 
Those, that, I, I've held on to that scripture for four, 50 years. Because it's wonderful to think. This is a deposit that it guarantees that something really cool is coming. But I don't have an image that I can look at in that, in my mind. Because if all this is, this, this continual presence of God in my life, not a, not a force, not a power, but indeed the very being of God right here with me, what is heaven going to be like if this is just a deposit? If this is just a slight down payment of what it's going to be like when I get there, oh my word, it just blows my brain to try and comprehend anything. Because this is pretty cool. Honestly, if, if you truly love God, if you truly are engaged with God on a regular basis, if you truly interact with God and don't just <coughs> come to church on Sunday and read your Bible three or four times a year, but if you really are trying to engage in a relationship with God and you, and you savor this, this intimacy that you experience, if this is just a deposit, what is it going to be like when we actually are in God's presence with the myriad upon myriad upon myriad of people on the crystal sea with all of the creation worshiping and praising God? Now, I can show you and I'm going to show you in just a second. We're not going to read every single passage, but we're going to relate. We're going to refer to them at least. The, 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 the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is not just for some. The Holy Spirit is for all. Okay? If you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the time when the disciples are in the upper room. They've been praying for 40 days. And it says that suddenly a sound like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven, filled the house where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. These people were Jewish followers of Jesus. These were children of Abraham who had been reared in the culture of the Jew, had been reached by Jesus for the ministry. And so they were Jewish people who received the baptism and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if you progress in the book of Acts, you come to chapter 10. And here we have God-fearing Gentiles. These are people, Cornelius and his household. These are people who are not Jewish by birth, Excuse me, I skipped one. Acts chapter 8. This is the story of the Samaritans who are believers. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. How did Samaria accept the word of God? Oh, lo and behold, Philip went and evangelized them. And they heard about God. Now, if you know the story between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, there's a great divide between them because of what happened back when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took over and totally messed things up. And they broke off from Judah and the, the Samaritans ended up having their own place of worship. They, they, they didn't worship down in Jerusalem. They, worshiped, they still tried to worship the same God, but they made up their own religion, basically. 
If you remember the story of Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, where Jesus, where she, she confronts Jesus and she says, you Jews say we have to worship down in Jerusalem. Our people say we worship up here. And Jesus said the time is coming and has now come when true worshipers of the Father will worship in spirit and in truth. You don't have to worship any particular place. But the Samaritans were outcasts from the Jewish people. But when Jesus left the earth in Matthew chapter 28, he gave the command to his disciples. He said, you will make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, first he comes to Jerusalem, to the Jews. Then Acts chapter 8, he goes to Samaria, to the step siblings, if you will, of the Jewish people. And then in Acts chapter 10, he goes to the household of Cornelius, which is a God-fearing Gentile. This is a man who wasn't born into the faith. This is a man who came in contact with the faith and said, I want to own this for myself. And who was having his household honor God. And then God sent Peter, (coughs) excuse me, who then preached the word of God to Cornelius in his household. And it said the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then finally, Acts chapter 19. Again, this circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It says, while Apollos was preaching at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior of Asia, And arrived at a town called Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Not people that he had led to Christ, but disciples who knew Christ. And he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've never even heard that there's such a thing as a Holy Spirit. Paul said, well, what baptism did you receive? And they said, well, John's baptism. Paul said, well, that was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him. And that was Jesus. And on hearing this, these believers in Ephesus who were pagans prior to hearing anything about John's gospel or John's message, um, they were then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on him, it's the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So we see in the Bible that it's not just for Jewish believers. It's not just for the Jews and the Samaritans. It's for any human being who names Jesus. The Holy Spirit is gifted to every Christian. Now, why is it important that we have the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, if you want to please God, you need to be holy. And what I mean by that is this. Holiness is basically being set apart for God. So the gift of the Holy Spirit literally sets us apart for God. Now, the Church of the Nazarene, we are a holiness denomination. What does that mean? That means we believe that the Holy Spirit of God not just comes in when we get saved, but that there's indeed a second act of God in our lives that we have to receive by faith. And that is when God fills us or baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Now, you've heard me preach on this before. I don't need to go into all the details, but I'll give you just a real quick outline. Walking down the road, do-do-do-do-do, you come in contact with the gospel. All of a sudden, you believe in Jesus. You are initially sanctified. You're saved. Then you continue on in this walk, and you realize, hey, there's still this thing inside of me that's wanting to fight against the things of God. 
I mean, I want to do what's right, but there's this darkness inside of me that's always wanting to do the selfish things. And so there's this recognition and understanding that this carnality needs to be dealt with. And so you go before God, you say, God, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I consecrate all of myself to you. And God, by his power, according to the word of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, God sanctifies you entirely. This is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Then from that point on, you have the presence of God with you, but you had the presence of God from the moment you got saved. But now God has full control over you. You've given God full access to all areas of your life. And now as you progress in your walk with God, you will be made fashioned more and more and more into the likeness of Christ until such time that God calls you off of this earth. And then you are what's called glorified. So there's initial sanctification, getting saved. Entire sanctification, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, glorific, I mean, pro, uh, progressive sanctification, which is becoming more and more like Christ, like growing in grace. And then finally, glorification, be, entering into the presence of God in heaven. While all of that's going on, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. Holy Spirit is guiding us. The Holy Spirit is giving us things. The Holy Spirit is growing things in us. One of the things growing in us as a result of this relationship that we have 24-7 with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the Christ-like things. This is becoming more and more Christ-like. The purpose of this fruit of the Spirit is so that we can be Christ-like. When we said this morning that we wanted the people at the camp to see Christ in Joey and see Christ in John as they were interacting with them, that's what we're asking. God, may the fruit of the Spirit be evident in the lives of Joey and John as they interact with these non-believers so that they be drawn because they see Christ in them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It should be in all Christians to varying degrees. But in addition to this Christ-likeness that the Holy Spirit grows in all Christians, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, in addition to growing these fruit, also gives specific powers, if you will. They're called gifts of the Spirit. But these powers are for specific reasons. Now, to list them, you have to actually go to two separate passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gift of wisdom, faith, healing, miraculous powers or miracles, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, Interpretation of tongues. And then Romans chapter 12 talks about prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and mercy. All of these are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to various individuals for a specific reason. The purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to empower us to serve in the vocation that God has assigned to each of us. Do you hear, do you recognize and understand what the word vocation means? Vocation is calling. Vocation is God has specifically called you to something. And because God has called you to whatever that is, God has given you specific gifts 
that will help you to live out that calling. Now, for example, I'm not saying that this is a vocation from God, but Tanya works in the world of accounting. I would shrivel up and die. But she thrives. You do well in that world. So God has given her specific gifts. Is it indeed a spiritual gift? I don't know. But I know that God has given her this ability where I don't have it. A little bit. But not like she has. Now, in my case, my spiritual gifts, I've already tested them numerous times. And every single time they come up, I have discernment of spirits and leadership. I don't necessarily want to be the number one in anybody's world. But I walk around and I look and there's people following me. Not because I've told them they had to follow. It's just what happens. It's gone on almost my entire life. I am a leader. I hate to use the term natural born because there's no such thing as natural born when you're talking about spiritual gifts. But the reality is God has specifically gifted me as a leader and I can choose to walk in it or I can choose to rebel against God and not use the gift that I'm given. Same thing with discernment of spirits. I can't tell you how I know, but I know when I'm in the presence of evil. I can't tell you how I know, but I can tell when something's wrong with you. And it's not just there's a look on your face or that I have a sense. I just know. Well, that's discernment of spirits. I can know when God is at work. I can know when the enemy is at work. And I can know when you're being oppressed by the enemy. It's very helpful to have that gifting as a pastor because sometimes you like to hide. How are you going? Oh, we're fine. <laughs> now, really, what's going on? How did you know? I don't know how I knew. I just knew. It gives me an edge on being able to minister to people because I have this inner knowledge that God has given me, not because it's anything of mine. It's not something I can grow necessarily. It's a gift. It's a power that God has given me. So the question is, what do you have? I mean, every one of you has to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That grows in you just because you're a Christian. But what do you have as a gift that God has given you specifically so that you can do, walk in the calling, the vocation that God has given to you? And then the other thing, we've talked about the presence of God. We've talked of the, of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the, uh, the, the, the setting apart, making us holy for God. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about the gifts of the Spirit. But one of the other things that is universal as far as all Christians is found in John chapter 16. And it's what's been on the screen in front of you all morning long. Jesus said... When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. Acts chapter 16, Paul gives us a very clear understanding of the spirit guiding into truth. Now, this idea of truth, you think, oh, well, I'm going to learn something that, that's true. But there's also guiding into the truth. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to stretch this. I truly believe that I'm right. Uh, that guiding into the true path that God has for you. Guiding you into the way of God. 
Okay, so for me, truth is not just a, a true statement, but it's the, it's, it's everything that is true. It's, it's, um, there's, there's a, there's a, a philosophical term comes up, comes from Aristotle that's talking about, uh, the fullness of being who you were supposed to be. Well, he was a philosopher. He didn't know Jesus, but the idea is that God has created us to be fully human. To walk in, in all that we could and should do. And we lost a lot of that when we got, because of the fall. But the end result is, is God is restoring all of that to a fullness of being human by the indwelling presence of God. So in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and his companions are traveling through the area of Asia. And they, it says they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They had to pass through it, but they weren't allowed to stop and do any preaching. And it said the reason was because the Holy Spirit kept them from doing it. Next verse. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And then finally, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, which is Greece, begging them to come over to Macedonia and help. And so met Paul, took that as a word from God, and they traveled on to Macedonia and established the church there. So what we see here is the Spirit of God, which is present with, with Paul and all of the other people who he's, who's with him, guiding them. And even prohibiting them from taking certain pathways that weren't the plan. The plan is you gotta to get to Macedonia. Don't waste any time doing this. Don't waste any time over here. But the thing that was interesting, <clears throat> the thing that was interesting, verse seven of Acts chapter 16 says, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I thought we had the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father. Spirit of Jesus. Did the people who wrote the book of Acts get it wrong? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles. Galatians chapter 4. <coughs> Verses four through six says, but then, excuse me, but when the set time had fully come, God, the father, sent his son who had been born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons or his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. These three verses in Galatians speak of the Trinity. People say, oh, the Bible doesn't talk about the Trinity. It's right there. God the Father sent his son to the earth and then sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Again, we cannot in any way understand or explain it, but somehow, some way, 
The Holy Spirit of God is a part of the Trinity of God, which is a part of the Jesus, which is a part of the Father, which is a part of the... And and I'm speaking stuff that's not right because theologically I shouldn't be saying part of because the Trinity is one. Okay? I'm, I'm limited in my words. But you need to understand, as I said at the beginning... The Holy Spirit of God, which is a gift from God to be with us 24 hours a day, is not a force. It is not a a power. It is the very Spirit of Jesus who is present with you, guiding you into all truth. And then as you're being guided into this truth, I would say to you, as I showed you with the kids this morning, it is your job. To hone that skill of hearing. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my kids know me. They know my voice. But it's your job as the sheep to learn how to hear the difference between the voice of your shepherd and the voice of any other shepherd. As you heard me with Heidi this morning, trying to get Audrey to hear me, multiply Heidi's voice by five. Then try to hear the voice for guidance. That's what you're dealing with in your daily life. There is so much coming at you from all over. God, what path do you want me to take? There's so much coming. God, I don't know. Help me. There's so much. But God said... You will know my voice when you hear it. But you have to listen for it. You have to learn how to discern it. When you are discerning God's guidance, you should ask for protection, direction, and revelation. The protection is, God, protect me from the enemy's schemes. As I'm trying to hear what you want from me, protect me from hearing anything that's not of you. The direction you're asking for is, God, what assignments do you have for me? And the revelation is, God, what truth do I need to know that I don't already know? Protection from the enemy, direction for the next task or the next step. And revelation is, bring me into things that I'm not aware of already, but that are indeed of you. So to conclude, to to wrap all this up, as I said, it was more of a Bible study than it was a sermon. But it's important that we as Christians are able to articulate what we believe. So to wrap it up into four succinct little statements. Number one, God's spirit, which I would argue is the greatest gift. Or at least equal to. The giving of Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit of God is given to all Christians when they get saved. You could say Jesus becomes your Savior at that point. God's Spirit, number two, God's Spirit fills you or baptizes you following your entire consecration. Remember I said I recognize that there's darkness in me and I don't want it to be that way and I don't want to be struggling and fighting against God, I give it all to you. That's the consecration. That's me giving to you everything, God. And at that point, the Spirit of God takes over. 
It's like saying, Jesus has become my Lord. Number three, God's Spirit fills us. God's Spirit shapes us into Christ-likeness. God's Spirit empowers us for the service of the kingdom. And God's Spirit guides us into all truth. And then finally, having God's Spirit present with me 24-7 should be the normal experience of every Christian. The key is learning to discern that presence and that voice. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with us and guide us and help us to be aware of you. Grow us to be better than we were. In Jesus' name, amen.